Hey, everybody. Welcome to season five of the Sacred Space podcast. I can't even believe it. I can't stand it. My name is Gina Stockton, and I never would have thought we'd be here for five seasons. So exciting. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for following, for listening, for subscribing, for being intentional with Jesus. It's been such an honor and a privilege. I also want to give a quick shout out to Justin Hepner, my friend, partner in crime, who created new music for us, and it's so, so good. Anyhow, I just wanted to jump on and say welcome. I hope you enjoy this season, and I'm excited to see what God does. Hey everybody, welcome to season five, episode one of the Sacred Space podcast. My name is Gina Stockton, and I'm so excited that you are here with us today. I've had several people ask if I could be interviewed, and since this is my podcast, that would be a little awkward for me to interview myself. So Nikki Rice, my assistant slash staff, asked if she could interview me. So we decided to launch this season Uh, with this episode to begin with. I hope that in a little bit of my story and the things that God has been speaking and doing in my life, you might be encouraged, um, strengthened, inspired, maybe even challenged. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the sacred space. Welcome to the Sacred Space Podcast. Today, I am your host, Nikki Rice, and I am interviewing the one and only, the amazing, the extraordinary Gina Stockton of Stockton. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. (laughs) Well, today we wanted to switch things up, and yeah, it's my honor to interview you, Gina. Thanks, Um, Nikki. It's an honor to be interviewed. Um, so Gina, you have been in ministry for how long? Wow. Um, that's a good question. A very long time. Um, I would say like a f- serving in ministry over 30 years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So 30 years, how many different like churches and organizations have you been a part of in that time? Even before that, when I was young, like 15 years old, the Lord, I was in a tiny church in Coronado in San Diego. And the very first time I ever led worship anywhere was in that church because they had one worship leader volunteer and he got married and took one Sunday off and they were desperate and needed someone. And I went to performing art school and sort of played piano. So I had, it was so bad. I, it was terrible, but it was awesome. It was a powerful lesson because these precious people, like a tiny church, like 30 people, and they just wanted to worship. They were so grateful to have anybody. I could have been up there with a a tin can and a spoon, you know, singing and they would have been happy. So it was like my first lesson from the Lord. And it's not about you. I just want you just be obedient to me. Let me do the rest. And then I kind of grew up as a Christian in my like teenage twenties and whatnot years of really learning about ministry and serving at Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. It was a Calvary chapel. That's where Norm, my husband and I met on the worship team. Hey. I was the chick singer. He was the bass player. Yeah. The rest is history. So yeah. And led worship in women's ministry and kind of forged my 
understanding of serving and ministry and everything in that place. And then we moved up to Orange County, served at a couple of different churches there, ended up on staff at a church for nine years, and then have done a lot of ministry like here and there. God, the journey with Jesus kind of takes you in all sorts of random directions. So had no intention to like be in ministry full-time or think I was going to be on staff anywhere and grew up in a denomination that as a woman, that wasn't necessarily something that I knew was even possible. So I wanted to be in the church. Like when I came to Jesus, I was like, these are my people. This is my family. I'm in, can I hang out here? You know? So I was there, you know, regardless, but um, certainly had no idea that I would be on staff at a church ever at any time or that I would, you know, have a ministry of my own. That wasn't something that I aspired to or thought was you know, wasn't something I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. Yeah. Not at all. Wow. I really would love to hear the story of how you came to church for the first time. What was the moment that you were like, oh, this is real. And I want to be a part of it. Yeah. I have a funny story. So my dad was a lounge singer and my mom was a cocktail waitress and they were both alcoholics. And so, and they were not married. And I grew up in bars, throwing back Shirley Temple's like watching my dad sing. My parents were on again, off again. My mom was living at home with my grandparents when I was born. So I was raised really by my grandparents and my mom, my mom, again, she was an alcoholic and our was almost role reversal, especially as I was older. So we were more like siblings in a lot of ways than we were mother daughter. And so it was just an interesting environment. My grandparents went to a Lutheran church and I would go occasionally with them, but it was very dead, very cold. My grandparents had a very kind of cold relationship. So they would drive the five blocks to church in silence and get there 20 minutes before it started because my grandpa always had to park in the the certain spot in the right in front. And we'd sit in the car in silence. And then we'd go in and sit third pew from the front on the left-hand side in front of the, in a Lutheran church, usually you have a cross in the center and there's like a, a lectern or whatever you call it, you know, where they preach out of and I never understood anything. It was boring. It was dead to me. Um, So that was my entire understanding of church. When I was 12 years old, my mom's best friend, who was also a cocktail waitress, uh, became a Christian and quit her job as a cocktail waitress and invited my mom to church. And my mom said no. In fact, she kind of said, you can stick your Bible wherever. And for whatever reason, her friend Um, then asked permission to invite me to church. And I don't know to this day why, but my mom said yes. Wow. And so she asked me if I wanted to go to church with her and I said, sure. So at 12 years old, she picked me up and we drove to church. This was probably 1980. So um, I was 12 years old. It was the tail end of the Jesus movement. Calvary chapels were birthed out of the Jesus movement as was Vineyard. So Calvary Chapel San Diego at the time eventually became Horizon. So my only experience with church was this like liturgical Lutheran church with the stained glass and very, a lot of formality. And first of all, people are like wearing shorts, they're wearing jeans. They were like, I was just like, what is happening? And we walked in late during worship. Fun fact, uh, Lisa and John Wickham, Evan and Phil Wickham's parents were leading worship. So John Wickham was playing guitar. Lisa was singing and they were both singing. And worship was happening. And at 12 years old, I walked in and I was overcome 
Wow. I was just like, what is happening in this place? And I'm not sure why. I just knew that it wasn't just people singing. This was wholly different. I knew it was relational. I knew something was happening that just, I just knew it and I wanted in. And I didn't know what in meant. (laughs) I just was like, I want to be here. And so after that, she just brought me every time she came to church. So she brought me on Sundays and then she started her and her friends would had a home fellowship. She brought me to her home fellowship. Anytime she went to church, I was like, I want to be with you. And the bless her heart, this woman (laughs) in her, you know, I don't know, thirties or whatever. And her friends would come and cart this 12 year old with them everywhere. And, you know, I don't, her name was Rhonda. I don't know her last name. I don't have any idea where she is, but it was the most amazing thing that that she would take the time and that she would go out of her way and do that. And I remember the one night that they brought me home and I remember the nervous energy when we pulled up in front of my house and I was sitting in the back seat and somebody was sitting next to me and there were two people in the front and they <laughs> turned off to the car and you could tell they were super nervous. And one of them is like, Gina, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yes. you know, cause they, you know, you can just tell they're like, they're nervous and they want to lead me to right. Jesus, like, you know, and they, they feel like it's time. And I'm so on a, I'm like, sure. Okay. Why not? You know? So I pray the prayer, like oh. zero emotion, zero understanding. My only concern was you're picking me up Sunday. Right. But I so believe that God just stamped me at that moment. Like, yeah. I think for him, he was like, that's good. That's all I need. <laughs> You know, even though I wasn't fully understanding, God understood, if that makes sense. And it was sweet. So, yeah. So I don't remember, like, I feel like my memory in terms of timelines and how long that season even lasted, I don't know. But at some point she and her boyfriend got married and they moved and they wanted to attend a church closer to their home. And so she wasn't going to be able to come and take me to what I considered my church now. And they did offer very kindly to come and get me and take me to their new church. But I, as a child had this very, like, there's no other church in the world, like this place, you know, like this is the only, this is where God is, you know? And so I didn't go to church again for a couple of years, you know, I'm 12, 13 years old and I have no way to get anywhere. So that was it until uh, my uncle who was like my brother. He was 15 when I was born living at home. Um, and he was kind of a partier and a ruckus, crazy guy and always had a new shtick, new something going on. And he comes bounding in the house one night. Um, and this was when I was maybe 14 and he's talking about Jesus. And we all are like, what are you on? What drugs are you taking? What are you selling? Like, we didn't believe him this will give you a little understanding of where he was most of his life, but we literally didn't understand him. And for like an hour, he's like, no, no, I met Jesus. And he's da, 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 da. And, and I'm, I'm not, I'm clean and I'm not going to drink, you know, and all this stuff. And then he's talking about this church horizon. It wasn't called horizon when I went there. So oh. we didn't realize it was the same place until he starts describing this theater in North park and these people who sing and this guy in a Hawaiian shirt teaches. And I'm like, oh, it's the same place. So that's when, wow. We started going together. My grandparents started to go. I was the first one to get saved in our family. And then slowly, you know, the Lord just kind of wooed us all. But yeah, that was kind of the beginning. And, you know, we went to Horizon for a while. And eventually 
Rick found a small little church in Coronado and we started going there. That's where I, I received like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when I had this personal radical encounter with Jesus that at that point on my life trajectory just shifted. Wow. And well, let's stop there for a minute. Did you have like a language for what was happening and like, what was that experience like for you? The church we were at was small, but it was, I would say somewhat charismatic. People weren't getting prayed for and falling over. And it wasn't like, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved or anything like that, but the gifts of the spirit were working. So it was a very casual, but biblical, normal kind of place. So there was an expectation of God to move, but it wasn't this hyped up thing. And it was, a t- again, a tiny church. Everybody knew everybody. And that Sunday, I was sitting in the front row with my aunt and my uncle and, you know, the other people there. And Pastor Bill was teaching on uh, the gifts of the Spirit, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think he was probably teaching on 1 Corinthians 12. Mm-hmm. And he was going to do a two-parter. And so at the end of the message, he starts saying, you know, and next week we're going to finish up. And, and then if anybody wants next week, wants to, wants to pray and to, you know, we'll pray for you to receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll do that. And while he's saying that in the front row, I just start to cry. And it's not like, you know, the sweet movie tears streaming down my cheek. I'm like, (laughs) like, I can't. And you know, when you like try to hold it back. And that makes it worse when you try to, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm literally 15. So I'm mortified. I'm standing oh. in the front row and I'm sobbing like guttural sobs. And my uncle's just looking oh. at me like, what's wrong with you? You know, he's looking at me like, what are you doing? And again, it's a small church. So Pastor Bill just looks at me and he's like, Gina, are you okay? And I literally, this is what I said. I'm like, do, do, do I have to wait? Oh, <laughs> like. So something in me, whatever, some yeah. my spirit at that moment was just like, I don't want to wait another moment. Like I, I want whatever, I want everything Jesus has for me. Wow. And he's like, no, come here, you know? And I just went up and he laid hands on me and he, and a bunch of the, probably the whole church came around me and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And It was just like, you know, you hear people have said before, you know, in testimonies, like liquid love, like it just felt Mm -hmm. like God was filling me from the tip of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I did receive the gift of tongues at that point. It wasn't something I asked for. It wasn't something I was necessarily wanting. It was like my spirit responding to this overwhelming encounter was that. And I was like, what? (laughs) You know, like you're in this like almost euphoric, emotional, happy, overwhelmed. Like it was, it was just beautiful. It was just powerful. So that was, that was when I was 15. It marked me. So I I feel like when I quote unquote said the prayer, I feel like there was something where the Lord's like, you're mine. But it wasn't until I was 15 that I had that where I said, you're mine. (laughs) <laughs> to him, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. Um, right. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you are, you're mine. Trying to find words to describe an emotional thing and a spiritual thing can be really yeah. hard. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the Bible talks about if the fruit is good, then the tree is good. So I guess my question is from that moment, what was the fruit of that encounter and how did you see a difference in your life? I think it just 
um, increased my hunger for the word. I had a hunger for God's presence. That started like my honeymoon season with Jesus. We live in a day and age with podcasts and social media and YouTube and the internet, and everything is reduced to bite-sized things and things that are meant to be personal are broadcast everywhere. And this was at a time where this was a this was a little place, you know, we, this church met in a room at the Hotel Del Coronado, and then we would have prayer meetings in Pastor Bill's basement, or we'd just get together and we'd worship and pray. And it would be maybe a dozen to 20 people, no fanfare, no PowerPoint screen with words. No, there was nothing complicated about it. It was just yeah. people in communion with God. And I'm so grateful that that's where my faith was formed. And when I started going to church when I was 12, like there was no cool kids program. I went on, like I, we all jammed into the same room and everyone, you got there early so you could even get a seat and you couldn't wait to hear God's word and you had a Bible. And if you didn't know where, you know, Hebrews was, the person next to you said, oh, it's over here. You know, it fostered this hunger and this pursuit of me towards the Lord and vice versa. And so I had this really sweet time for a couple of years and I really needed it. It was a time in my life that was very hard at home. My dad was always in my life, but not really an active father. And my mom, her alcoholism was hard. Her descent into, she was an alcoholic. She was bulimic. She was mm. depressed. Um, we didn't have the words for all those things. Mental health wasn't you know, prevalent. Um, she would disappear for days on end. She would go partying in Mexico with her friends. She would show up and her car would be totaled. Like it was just a very hard thing. I was more of the parent than the child. And so to be in that place where I knew Jesus and I knew he had me and he was covering me and he was holding me and he was um, parenting me in a lot of ways. Wow. Sorry. Um, so I think that the timing of it was this sweet provision from the Lord for me in a season that was really hard, you know, by my senior year in high school, I was so busy. I was working two jobs. I was going to school, performing art school, uh, high school. So eventually I, I slowly, you know, not stopped going to churches often. It was down in Coronado, it was super far. And I didn't like walk away from the Lord. I just got too busy to be actively present with him. So by the time I graduated high school, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I don't like Jesus or anything like that. I considered myself a Christian, but I just walked. It wasn't important. He wasn't my first priority anymore. Yeah. Other, other things had become more important. Wow. What was the returning point for you? Yeah. This is a funny story. So I was working. So I had two jobs. I was working at the Claremont Twin Theater in San Diego, which was the cheap, the nasty, like $2 for a double feature, wearing the polyester, you know, orange and brown uniform, making literally like $4 an hour, I think was what I got wow. paid. So I'm aging myself. Um, that was one of my two jobs. And this is really shows how shallow I was. So every Friday night, I worked the box office during the summer after I graduated. And every Friday night, these two guys would come in 
together and watch movies. And they were kind of cute and they were super nice. And they were a little bit flirty <laughs> and I never knew their names, but they always were super sweet. But I remember while I was there kind of wondering, I wonder if they're Christians, you know, like silly thing. Right. I don't even know why that thought crossed my mind, but so that was all summer long. And then in the fall, my uncle invited me to a concert at Horizon. Horizon had moved a mile from my house. Wow. And my uncle was like, hey, there's a concert. Let's go Friday night. And so I went with him. And I remember actually in the middle of the concert, getting up to the bathroom and I got up and I walked up the aisle of the auditorium. And I remember in my head thinking, I wonder if those guys are here. And then I remember telling myself, Gina, that's really stupid. Why would they be here? And as I'm having this argument with myself, in my head, I physically bump into somebody and I look up and it's one of them. His name was Scott. And I yeah, found out at that moment and we're both like, what? And then they, the two of them were there. Brett was the other guy. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, and they're like, do you go here? I'm like, no, you know, you should come on Sunday. And so that's how Jesus got me back to church by two <laughs> cute guys. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'd never heard that story before. There was a trip to Scotland. I won't go into all the details, but felt like I was supposed to go on a mission trip. It was super out of character for me. I'm not a risk taker. I'm an inch. I don't like doing stuff with people I don't know. I get super nervous, but I went to the meeting, felt like I was supposed to go. God provided the money. And it was on that trip that I met the worship pastor and a worship artist named Terry Clark, who's the super anointed. He, you know, he's kind of a big deal. This is a huge church at the time, maybe 10,000 people. So you never saw the people on stage ever. Yeah. And I got on the plane at 18 years old to go on this mission trip. And I was sitting next to this guy, but he ended up being super sweet. And he was like, he was like, a, a, I guess I looked a lot like his daughter. So he kind of became a papa for me on that trip. Mm-hmm. And then I met the worship pastor who invited me to join the worship team on that trip. And that was the first time. Um, so that's how I got started in ministry. When we got back from that trip, I started serving on the worship team. Wow. That's incredible. Just like hearing a couple of things that you said, it really sounds like you've you've been on like this long journey of being fathered by God in different ways. So I think one thing that I'd love for you to talk about is is being a mother and being a mother while being in ministry and mm. what God has taught you as a father about parenting and about what that looks like. There was a lot of complexity in my story. My mom was so full of self-hatred. Um, there were parts of my story that I didn't know the truth of until after she died. She wanted to marry my dad. My dad didn't want to marry her. Um, so she got pregnant to try to get him to marry her. And he said, no, I didn't know this, any of this. Um, so when I was little, I was told that they had been married and divorced. She even legally changed her name to his name to, perpetuate that ruse. So my, but they dated on and off when I was young. So I never had stability. It was like, well, we were with dad. Like we'd hang out with dad and be a family. Then we wouldn't be a family. Then we would be a family. Then we wouldn't be a family. Then she'd be mad at him and would use me against him. So there was a lot of this weird turmoil. And then when I was 12, about the same time I came to church for the first time was when my mom decided I was old enough to know that they were never married to begin with. And that rocked me because I was like, I was unwanted I was a mistake. I was all these things, right? So, you know, at that time, now, you know, babies out of wedlock aren't as big of a deal, but then it was like, I'm a bastard, you know, I'm, you know, illegitimate was, was kind of the word. So, so then you fast forward to my encounter with the Lord at 15 and then 
my, you know, going 18 years old, going on this mission trip. And as I'm kind of being formed, um, the Lord, uh, I encounter Psalm 139 for the first time. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I couldn't handle that verse. I was like, I don't understand. This can't be true. I was a mistake. I'm the the product of a sinful, horrible, not kind relationship. How on earth could this be God's will? And so the Lord had me on this journey that kind of, and Psalm 139 became my life verse of the Lord going, this is true, whether you understand it, whether you believe it, whether you receive it or not, this is true of you. This is what I'm speaking over you. And so that began this journey of my learning what redemption is, learning what the love of my father, pursue, my heavenly father pursuing me is. And it's a journey, right? So the beauty is that God's love and his kindness, you know, we're on that process of transformation that we all are on from that moment of receiving Jesus in our lives in his love. That process of transformation is a process of healing. It's a process of restoration and it's a process of redemption. So God from those earliest moments was slowly inviting me to be his daughter. Mm -hmm. I already was his daughter, but my ability to actually receive it, my ability to understand it, and then eventually my ability to live it, those were things that took time. Those were things that the Lord had to be gentle with. Those were things that I would kind of get it. And then I kind of wouldn't, and I would kind of get it. So as it pertains to being a mom, it was very hard uh, I, I just lived with, am I going to be able to even get pregnant? I don't know why I questioned that, but there was this, I don't deserve to be able to do that for some reason, you know, or is my baby going to be okay? Like, you know, am I going to be able to have a healthy baby? And then, oh gosh, I don't know how to be a mom. How am I going to be a mom? I, I know what not to do. You know, how do I know what to do? Having to trust and believe that God is going to make up for what I lack Wow. And, and also trust that, you know, um, my kids already had a better start, you know, their parents were married and loved each other and loved God and loved them, you know, like, okay, we're already doing way better. (laughs) You know, you know, there was a lot of having to deconstruct and, um, loosen the finger, my fingers and my grip of the things that I was fearful of and really surrender my kids to him. Because the other thing too, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Like I met him, like he's mine. I have an intimate relationship with Jesus. I would look at my kids and go, I can't do that for you. Like no Christian, you know, devotional program or like a little thing that, okay, I do this with your kids every day. You know, like all of that is great. And all of that will instill some things, but those are cultural, you know, repetitive things. None of that can create intimacy with, with God. And right. Father, Son, and Spirit. So, and and still to this day, I'm having to surrender and actually lay my kids on the altar and go, Lord, they're yours. Like I, I can't manufacture anything. I can't protect them. I can't guard them. I have to trust you with them, and I have to trust that your radical, relentless, loving pursuit of them is as significant as it was that you the the pursuit you made of me. And, um, I can't control it and I need to trust it. So you've gone on this journey with God, a lot of things going into your story, but I would love for you just to share 
like maybe even the last 10 years of being a woman in ministry during times where the world is literally bursting at the seams. What, what's it been like being a leader in the church, being a woman in ministry? And yeah. from that, like what, yeah, like what's been your perspective on the church? To give you some context for me as a leader in ministry, I want to go back a little bit. So like I said, I grew up in a Calvary world at a huge church in San Diego, came back from that mission trip, became a part of the worship ministry and was part of the worship team. God was doing amazing things. And this was all in an environment where women can't be leaders except for in the women's ministry. So much so that even in the worship team, I could never like lead worship for a whole service by myself. You weren't allowed to be a worship leader. So I could be a part of a worship team. I could lead a song, but the whole era of like the Amanda Cooks, the Stephanie Gretzinger's, the Jen Johnson's, all that stuff, that wasn't a thing at that time. And I grew up in that and that was just the world I lived in. So I did lead in women's ministry. There's a lot of natural leadership gifts in me. And not that I had any aspiration to be any kind of a leader, but I would stumble into as much leadership as was allowed. I, I I never pursued it. I would just kind of end up there. If there would even have been the possibility that I could go to like seminary or I could go to whatever, I probably would have, but that wasn't even the con- the context we were in. Yeah. So when we moved to Orange County, we were at another um, Calvary. And then again, the Lord puts me in leadership in women's ministry. I start teaching in women's ministry. We end up at another church. Again, I just stumble into random leadership positions. Eventually it gets to the point where you start getting utilized for your leadership, but not officially allowed to lead. So it's a very strange world to live in. Again, I wasn't aspiring to be a a leader on staff. I want to lead this ministry or be a pastor or whatever, but I am naturally kind of a pastor and a leader and all these things. So I end up kind of in a way functioning by default in those things. So it can be very confusing. It can be very hard. And then my theology, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, when men aren't supposed to be pastors, you know, of course not. But then you start living in environments and serving kind of going, that doesn't entirely make sense. Is that really true? And so I had to really wrestle in myself, like, Lord, I don't want to be disobedient. The last thing I want to do is be a disobedient to you. I don't want to be outside of your will or functioning outside of the realm of where you're, where are you moving? And then I'm in this generation that's moving towards, no, I guess it is okay for a woman to lead worship. So then you start having some permission to lead and then God, there's fruit there. Like God's using that in really powerful ways. And now suddenly there's an authority that you have. Um, but it is funny that you're going, huh, you know, just five years ago, I wasn't allowed to do that. (laughs) Like in in San Diego, there was, there was a pastor who would come in to the women's ministry when I was leading worship and was so moved. He wanted to bring that to Sunday morning. And it was literally like they had to meet with the elders. They had a huge leadership meeting. Can we do this? Is it okay? How do we do it? What do we say? Does it, is it biblical? Is it not? Are we going to be disobedient? And then the more they, they approved it because my husband was going to be on stage with me playing bass. So technically I'd have covering, but then they felt like they had to get up and give an announcement. And this Gina is going to lead, but her husband's here and we're here. So we are like it, all the caveats and all of the things. And I was a young, insecure, like terrified. So when you're raised in that, it's a really weird situation. And you're 
increasingly being raised up. So then this new church I was in, on the one hand, didn't necessarily affirm female pastors, but they invited women into more leadership. So suddenly I go from no, 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 to, hey, would you do this? Hey, would you do that? Hey, we need you to, and then all this like affirmation, but still this kind of unspoken, strange, like, yeah, but no. So it can be confusing to go from one environment to another, but it was still not a, a, a female leadership affirming environment. And yet it was in this place that God started really kind of calling out gifts in me and giving me authority with people, <laughs> giving me authority with leadership, giving me authority with the congregation. And then the, I think the dangerous thing is that when you aren't able to actually have the authority and function in that, then again, you're kind of in a way like your leadership is used and then you're kind of put off to the side. And so it can build, you can build resentment, you can build bitterness. So I was on a long journey with the Lord where I had to constantly repent. (laughs) I had to constantly like fall on my face before him because I would start getting hurt or I'd get offended or I would start building a case. And then the Lord would humble me and go, no, Gina, just trust me. And he kept me there for a really long time. And that was really hard. It's like, why am I here? Like I have so many friends who are often other places where they're being encouraged and built up and, and, and equipped. And I'm keep being in this place that is causing all this pain, but there was a purpose in that and nothing is wasted for yeah. the Lord. And I walked through so many church transitions and I saw um, people get mistreated and treated well. I saw leadership that is just doing the best they can get blamed for things and, you know, splits and, and all of this stuff. And it, it has given me so much empathy, so much understanding, so much perspective, the ability to have grace for people, the ability to give people the benefit of the doubt, to recognize um, the frailty and the messiness and the brokenness of the bride of Christ, but still love her and still be very passionate about who she is and what she's becoming. And the Lord finally called me out of that environment. And then through the last like five years, God's been Um, healing a lot of things, but also birthing a lot of things and growing a lot of things that wouldn't be here had I not had that soil not been tilled in all of this and worked in all of this. And the Lord has now positioned me in places where I'm having influence and authority and things that I never would, would have imagined. I never would have thought of. I never in a million years would have thought that I would teach a message on a Sunday morning at a church. Like that was not possible. You know, Norm and I, my husband and I will have a conversation like, am I supposed to be doing this? Yeah, I think you're supposed to be doing this. Is this what the Lord has? Yeah, I think it is. Like we get on our faces before the Lord and go, Lord, we don't want, we don't want to be outside of your will. We don't be out of, want to be outside of your purposes, your plan, your design. Right. And we want to be obedient to you. We want to be yielded to you. And so I don't take it lightly when I have any kind of influence or platform. It's very weighty. And here's the other thing. So going back to part, the other part of your question was the church in the last, you know, the recent years and COVID and all the things that that brought and the politicism in that is infiltrated and all those things. And this isn't a 
an accusation at all. This is humanity. This is what we do. (laughs) But all these things that we've constructed church to be in the Western evangelical church world over the last 20 years have just become idols and a culture and personalities. And then you add the internet and you add social media platforms. And now what was once spiritual community and what was once a place um, for Jesus to be in the center of an intimate relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and with one another has wow. turned into, you know, the entirety of my faith is, you know, squarely on the shoulders of my favorite celebrity pastor or my program that I need to go to or my gathering on Sunday or these things. Right. And, you know, we saw over the pandemic, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, just, you know, suddenly things get shut down. And all of a sudden, you know, where is your faith if you can't go on Sunday? Where is your faith if you can't hear your favorite pastor? Where, you know, where is your faith actually seated? Where is your relationship with the Lord actually rooted? And I think, I think a lot of things were exposed. You know, a lot of idols that we had hidden that we had constructed, but I think it's his loving kindness that it brings the exposing of those things because he wants to bring us back. So I am in the church, you know, I, right now I'm technically consulting for a church, but I'm functioning as a staff member at a church. And the collective question on that team is, Lord, what do you, what do you have for us in this next season? Like, what is church? What is spiritual community? What is your church supposed to look like? Not what I think it should look like, not what it looked like 10 years ago, not the cultural things that I've created into these idols, but what does it look like to actually be spiritual community? And as a quote unquote leader, that puts a lot of fear of the Lord in me that I don't build something or contribute to something or lead something that is just going to make another version of the thing that we feel like God's tearing down. So I I think as humans, as leaders, it's easy for us to, we tend to overcorrect, right? So the church can be barreling down a, a, a road that's amazing, but maybe it goes a little too far. And then out of fear or control, we hightail it to the farthest opposite place. Like the Jesus movement and the supernatural movement of God, there's a lot of gifts of the spirit flowing, a lot of that kind of stuff. And when that supernatural wave recedes a little bit, then you know, people are trying to perpetuate it in their own strength. And then things kind of start getting weird. Then everyone's like, ah, gifts aren't for the day. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's no, you know what I mean? Like we just go so far the other direction and, and, and we, we can go both ways. And so the worst thing we can do is we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And we go right. over here and the whole purpose is to rebel against what was over here. The whole purpose of what yeah. I'm building here is in judgment of that. If that's the foundation I'm building this new thing or this new movement on, oh God, help me. No, like that, that is not foundation. (laughs) Um, That is, where is the fruit of the spirit? I don't ever want to posture myself in that way. I want to, I want to lock eyes with Jesus. I want to be on my face before him. I want to ask him and then I actually want to wait to hear what he has to say and then do my best to be obedient to what I'm hearing. And also recognize I'm doing that in community that's diverse, that has people that are on, we're all on a different, in different places and different journeys with Jesus. And what moves me and what feels to me like, oh, this is what God wants could be different for someone else. And the diversity of the body is necessary 
right? You know, Romans and Corinthians talk so much about the diversity of the body and the multitude of gifts. And we're all uniquely made. No one can stand exactly where I'm standing, exactly how I can stand there. No one sees things the way I see them exactly. And you get um, me and you and 12 other people in a room that all love Jesus. If we can lay down the kind of preference side of things and we can all pull into the not to the you know the essentials like the non-negotiables of who jesus is and then lovingly collaborate on the non-essentials and trust Mm -hmm. him with it and know that in that collaboration and in that joining is going to be something beautiful we're not in a, a healthy body if i'm surrounded with people who think exactly like me i need to be in a room with people who who have experienced Jesus totally different than I have. I need to be in a room with people who have the gift of healing and have the gift of X, Y, and Z, because those aren't my gifts. I have other gifts. I need to be in a room with people who are theologically deep, who who can go deep and wide. I need to be in the room with people of the gift of evangelism because I don't have the gift of evangelism and I admire people who do. And I want to, I want to know what they have to say, you know? If we can learn to be spiritual community and decentralize and not make it about a person, the Moses model leadership um, was abolished when Jesus died on the cross. And so um, no longer is there one man who hears from the Lord, right? We need the multitude of gifts. That mean we don't have leadership? Of course not. Leadership is important, but plural leadership is more healthy. And, you know, we've seen the collateral damage over the last 25 years of pastors burning out of all these documentaries and podcasts of these implosions of organizations. And what does it look like to humbly submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another, like mutual submission in love? The minute I think I know something, oh, Lord, help me. I shouldn't be in leadership anymore. I need to be teachable. I need to be humble. I need to not be the smartest person in the room. I need to be, um, as much as I can, be obedient. I need to be listening, asking, actively pursuing God's voice. I need to be accountable to people. I need to have people that will say hard things to me, that will tell me the truth, no matter how painful it is, and hold my feet to the fire. I need people in my life to challenge me, to not let me take the easy way out. Um, I need to be unified with my husband. I can't stand where I'm standing without him. And he can't stand where he's standing without me. We don't make any decisions apart from each other. I don't say yes to anything that we haven't talked about. And we say yes together um, Mm -hmm. and vice versa. That's what actual spiritual partnership is. Yeah. I, I'd love just to add on to that. Like I, I loved what you were saying about having a pure foundation. Um, and you know, that's something God's been talking to me a lot about too, is like, we can't build our foundation on a leader. Like it has to be on Jesus and the person on my right and left, like they get to be my inspiration, but they don't get to be my idol and they don't, yeah. you know, they're also not my competition. Yeah. Um, but we get to inspire each other and love each other into that unity. And I, I just love your perspective on that and what you shared. So I think my, my last question for you is as a mother in the church, as um, somebody, in my opinion, who um, is mothering a church movement and who is a prophetic <laughs> voice, 
place in this generation. Um, where do you see the church going and what hope do you see for the next generation in the church? I think we're going to enter a season of purification and I don't say that lightly and I don't say that condescendingly. And I think a lot of people are going to make presumptions as to what that means. I can say purity and there's probably a lot of people who in their mind are thinking of all sorts of people. Yes, they need to be pure. (laughs) You know what I mean? So when um, COVID first hit, lockdown first happened, you know, churches were shut down. I was leading worship at a church. I was asked to lead at that moment. Every week we went online. And then I don't remember what the timing was, maybe the two, three weeks of full on lockdown. And then they did like, you could open churches could open, but you had to take temperatures and wear masks and be six feet apart. And there was crazy division in the church. People were like, if you make us gather, I'm not coming anymore. If you don't let us gather, I'm not coming. If you make us wear a mask, I'm, you know, it was just all so many agendas. And I remember I was leading worship that morning and it was a long drive. I was driving and I had this like righteous indignation over these agendas that people had. And I was mm-hmm. taking authority over agendas and da, 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 you know, all this stuff. And, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their landlord. You need to heal our land, but we need to be humbled first. You know, I'm like kind of going to this whole right. thing and I get down there and I'm doing sound check. And while I'm sound checking, the Lord kind of just taps me on my shoulder and it's like, um, Gina, you have an agenda right now. (laughs) And I was like, dang it, you know, and it was true. We have got to start to humble ourselves as individuals. Like it has to start with me. Like I need to humble myself. I need to fall on my face before Jesus and I need to let him purify me. So when I say purification is coming, like it's not this grand, like accusatory, like pointing the finger out there. It's, it's, it's self-examining like, oh Lord, what, have, what have I made of your bride or your church or ministry? Um, Lord, what have I made of it? Because here's the thing again, like um, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. He is a kind father who is lovingly inviting us back Um, so when you say what is in store for the church, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. What I do know is that he is, he is in furious pursuit of his people and of all people, but in order for all people, it needs to start with his house. Well, Gina, thank you so much for being here today. (laughs) Thanks for having me on my podcast. Thanks for interviewing me, Nikki. And thank you for all that you do. A little shout out for Nikki. Nikki is my staff. (laughs) It's Stockton Ministries, this big old thing that we have here. Yeah, Yeah, she's my staff. And this podcast wouldn't happen these days without her. So shout out to you, Nikki. Thank you. (laughs) 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sacred Space Podcast. If you want to find out more information about myself or the podcast or other projects by Stockton Ministries, you can visit us at GinaStockton.com. And if you would like to support the production of this podcast, you can make a tax-deductible donation by clicking the link in the episode notes or go to GinaStockton.com and click the donate button in the top right-hand corner. I hope you have an amazing week that you know that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. And we will see you next time in the sacred space.